Uh, welcome back to the Artistry Podcast. I am Jay and this is Sev. We will continue to talk about creative endeavors and uh, you'll find detailed information in the description down below if you're watching on YouTube and on the, uh, blah, blah, and on the episode description on Spotify. That blah, blah, yes. stays in. <laughs> no, okay, no problem. Uh, today we'll speak about discipline and world building well, in the context of a story. And um, as we discuss these topics, let us know in the comments uh, what were, were your main obstacles in world building. Have you ever started a project without setting foundations? And do you know of any occasion where it worked? Um, if you want a coherent story, it's important to establish a foundation. You need to build your world. To be effective in your endeavor, you will need discipline. Sev has a lot more to say in regards to world building. Uh, today, I'll just chip in with my questions and um, go a little bit on discipline, yeah. I suppose. I guess. So I'll pass the mic to Sev and um, he'll pretty much speak uh, as a as a paragon. Give you a monologue. A very as a paragon on, on world building. Well, yes. first of all, I'd just like to say that you're, the main reason why I think you should be doing, doing the discipline talk is I think you're much more uh, focused about you know making things happening i mm. i am a very i am a creature of whims and i feel like most artists do have that mindset of oh i don't feel like doing anything so i'll just maybe tomorrow maybe tomorrow i'll have that burst <laughs> and even if you work really hard against that there was there will always be a day the fact that i took mm. eight years of world building is a statement that my discipline isn't that good because I definitely <laughs> could have re reduced that time uh, time frame to about like what one year. Mm -hmm. But on the subject of world building, I do think that I have a lot to say on it. Um, mainly mm -hmm. because, well, let me just open my document here. I again, I wrote a big book. I wrote, I wrote a big fantasy book, the mm -hmm. Crystal Saga Thingamajig. It's on Amazon. You can buy it if you want to. It's 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 a very big book. It will take you a lot of time to read, so it's a good time sink. Otherwise, you can just use it to balance a table or something. Anyway, yeah, that that has been proven on his video, by the way. For Seth sure, made a very good video on how to use his book as construction material and some other uses you would not expect. Uh, actually, you should take a look. Yeah, we're probably going to put that on the description as well. <laughs> I'll yeah. send you the link. Um, but you know, on the concept of world building, and I'm speaking. This is more obviously for writing a story. I, I have a hard time applying this concept to, to any other art forms. But mm -hmm. the idea really is for you to have a believable world for your characters to play in. Basically, you want to create a sandbox that, that eases your transition into the world so that while you're writing, you don't immediately become uh, blocked on the spot for trying to think of, of something weird and fantastical for any given moment like your character walks into a dungeon and suddenly you need to think what the dungeon means and what's the history of the dungeon what yada 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 if you do world building beforehand you know that the dungeon is located in a country and that country had x history that wars had occurred there maybe that dungeon used to be a tomb for the former kings that were lost in that war and suddenly you start to through the context of the world building your character going inside that dungeon already has so much potential. That is the that is the essence of world building. Is that it gives you a lot of, of, of feedback, a lot of a of contextual clues that might not be relevant to the story, but are relevant to painting a landscape. Um, right. yeah. Before I go further into the 
into the world building, I'd say that in terms of writing, there are two types of writers. And one of them focuses a lot more on world building than the other. The example is, uh, I'm using this this quote from George R. R. Martin, who who does it, who explains this concept so much more eloquently than I do. But he says that there are two writers, the one that is a gardener and one that is an architect. And the gardener mm-hmm. writer takes a, a seed of an idea. He plants it on the earth. He waters it with love and and blood and sweat and tears and he just watches the story grow like oh i I didn't expect it to twist and turn it is affected by the elements by the wind by the moods so basically you know what the main plot is but you don't know what it grows into uh and that is the essence of uh of a gardener writer is that everything feels more well it feels more vivid and more spontaneous because it is because you're basically writing on a whim obviously mm-hmm. when they say that a writer is a gardener or an architect you're not just one or the other it's like when you're when you're a gar- when you identify yourself with the archetype of a gardener you don't just plant the seed and well <laughs> let's just wing it from here no you have a few ideas <laughs> of what you want to do you know you you know what your who your characters are you know a bit of their backstory you know that that the idea you planted will eventually lead to something but besides that, you're very, very vulnerable to, you know, to outside influences. The architect... So just, go on. So just to be clear, when you mentioned that uh, you have a basic idea of the, what, the, what the character is, you mean just in your head, right? You did not actually yeah. set anything down. Um, I believe that they do set something, some things down. Usually they follow the, the, the hero's journey circle where it's basically this young... Uh, uh, no, I don't remember exactly the wheel, but it's this young <laughs> character that has this mentor that teaches him the ways of the world, but he's still very naive to mm. it. He goes through a tragic uh, moment that then introduces him to the story. And, you know, and from that point on, if most of the times the mentor dies and he is in, in, uh, forced to carry on the journey upon, with, upon himself. Mm-hmm. And right. by the end of it, he goes through a full arc where he learned something new, he overcame something, and he changed as a character by the time he returns to his home state, uh, to his village, to return to his family, etc. Mm-hmm. He returns a, a better man, but a changed man. And that's the idea of the hero's journey. And basically that archetype can apply to almost any character you make. Mm. Well, to be fair, that sounds a little bit like people are kind of um, reusing a, a basic foundation that was set by somebody for a formula that people notice that works. There is um, uh, this idea that all the stories have already been told. There is no <laughs> new stories to be told. No, I'm, I'm not even joking. It's like all the, all the stories are in the telling. It is how you tell it. It's the details that you, mm. want, to, that you want to show. But the character is mm. the 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 hero the noble villain the the dark hero all that shit has existed for longer than you can even believe before there was Mm. writing there was stories about that shit so i see it's very recycled but it's about the details it's about the magic of the world in my opinion uh, that really Mm. that that catches that captures the 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 joy of the reader the joy of the audience is like oh that is like harry potter to me, Harry Potter, in terms of characters, are as bland as they fucking come. 
However, <laughs> the magic behind it of, oh, even you, a kid and underneath the staircase of unusually cruel aunts, you, even you can one day become this magical, uh, sexy, rich Merlin thing. And that is, and it introduces a new world hidden beneath our own. And it's very, that whole idea was so magical that it captured a whole generation. Like my generation, I remember growing up with these films and with these books and everyone was goddamn shit batch crazy for it. Everyone had a, a mm. house, everyone had a, a, a whatever the thing that the Patronus, everyone had a, uh, <laughs> their colors, their brand, their, everything, everything, everything. And that is because the world building was so vivid and it was so in tune with the culture at the time. And right. that is what you want to, that's what you want to tell in, in your story more so than the characters itself. Because Harry Potter, the dude is bland as shit. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, when you talk about it, it kind of makes sense, right? He's, he doesn't have a lot of, I mean, the character does not have a lot of charisma, really. Like, it doesn't feel like he has. His charisma very, is He's kind of predictable. Yeah, his charisma, kind of his charisma comes in, in his bravery. It's always, oh, mm -hmm. he, there's this dark, scary thing. I wouldn't be able to take care of that dark, scary thing. But God damn it, Harry Potter double believed in himself. And God, gosh darn it, he did mm. it for his friends. And that yeah, is all, okay. always, you know, uh, an honorable trait. It's always noble. But mm -hmm. that's, a, that's as deep as it goes, in my opinion. I mean, you can, you can mm -hmm. add a lot of depth to a lot of perceived, perceived depth by his, oh, his parents, they died protecting him. Oh, he is prophesized to be attached around the, the villain, he, and yada, yada, yada. To me, that isn't so much character traits. That's just things that happened to him. A character trait is, if is he greedy? Is he because he was brought poor? Is he the sort of guy that 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 kind of wants everything for himself? Or, or is, because Harry right. Potter actually doesn't care about any sort of material gains. And that is because, well, he's so poor that he doesn't see material gains as something worthwhile. If you have nothing, there's enough to go around sort of thing. But yeah. at the same time, that's incredibly boring. It'd be more interesting, perhaps, that he, he'd be kind of the scavenger character like, oh, this thing that people find useless, I can make use out of it. Kind of like a Spider-Man <laughs> character, like who, who uh -huh. is brought poor in New York and he makes gadgets out of anything from things he finds in a, in a dumpster. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so just to, uh, I apologize for derailing, derailing the conversation, <laughs> just to catch uh, the listeners back into it. We were talking about different archetypes of uh, writers and one would be the gardener, which yes. you touched upon. And the next one would be the architect. The architect is one that I identify myself with the most, which is a person that before he writes the first word, before he sets, he needs to have the foundation of the house. He needs to know where the walls will go, where the sockets will go, where the doors will go. All that before he drives down the first nail. Basically, he needs to have the whole structure planned. And this, in my opinion, creates better narrative. Because mm -hmm. going back to, the, to the, the gardener one, if you spend a lot of time just going with the whims of the character, you create a lot of questions for the reader. Mm -hmm that do not get answered. An example of that would be Lost, the TV show, or, well, anything J.J. Abrams ever did in his life. He, <laughs> he seems like a sort of guy that really enjoys presenting the questions, which is a very Gardner-esque trait. 
but mm-hmm. he's not so interested in exploring them. And this leads to mm-hmm. very frustrating th- moments for the reader where you see this sort of like re- he- this sort of a Chekhov's gun where something very important seems to be highlighted and you think, oh, this this will culminate into this to this masterpiece Rubik's Cube where everything will slot in together and it'll be this magical storytelling. And it just turns out it was a gun. It was just a random gun that someone mm. dropped there. And that is so infuriating. People say, they can claim that that is, um, oh, what is that thing that the, is, huh? it's, um, whatever. It's it's going against the, the tide, going against the what is expected. Mm-hmm. But it's just lazy writing, in my opinion. And that happens a lot in, in, um, in the gardener's perspective. The architect, kind of the opposite happens. Because you have everything so laid down, everything so structured, everything so coherent, the characters are almost wooden. They're forced into those shapes. Uh, it's very hard to be organic and spontaneous when you have a plot and a deadline to get there. When kidding, we got yeah. time to go. We, by chapter three, you need to be a hero boy, so we ain't got time to dilly-dally. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> and that forces a lot of things to happen which sometimes can seem very very uh, unnatural the mm-hmm. ideal thing is for a writer to try and include to be uh, mindful of these two traits as they write as they world build mm-hmm. and this is the point now after i made this introduction saying that i am more of an architect you can see that world building was very important to me and i spent a right. lot of time making maps then after I made the map, I needed to make the countries and the cities each country had. And because I'm actually a, a, a kind of a geography nerd, I also wanted uh-huh. to make the the rivers, the outlines, the lakes, the mountains. Uh-huh. And I wanted to make it so that each country had its own districts, had its own regions. Oh, you and went it, into administration. Ah, uh, yeah. Then I went even further to that, and I went into administration, to religion, to culture. Um, mm-hmm. I should. I've actually felt that I didn't go deep enough into architecture because each na- each civilization mm-hmm. has its own architecture, which I find mm-hmm. really interesting. And in this book, I after I finished the book, I sort of realized mm, everyone seems like they're living in medieval Europe. And mm. there's not enough in the ways of building from uh, uh, from all kinds of stone, from marble to just river rocks to to anything. And you, also the roofs are always like these tiled triangle roofs. Some of them should just be like huts or have square tops. And because the region doesn't have enough rain, so the the square top should, should each time it rained would would harness it into a tiny little pool. But all that shit is world building. And that adds mm-hmm. to the believability of the world and to the story. And I, I and I love and I spent so much time on it, so much ridiculous mm-hmm. time that bef- before I even started writing, I started exploring history to lengths that are ridiculous. I went to okay, so I know this. Po- this starts kind of like the the section. Imagine in the real world where mm-hmm. the 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 medieval world was transitioning into an industrious age. I wanted to capture that moment in my book. So I wanted to explore all the medieval age. I went to the Renaissance. I went to the Knights. I went to the Dark Ages. And I went to the Caveman Ages. And I was starting to realize, this is I'm going too far. I was world building too much. <laughs> right, right. And uh, I mean, mm, yeah, go now on. continue. You have a good question. Yeah, I was just going to I was just going to say we should uh, at some point uh, uh, ask you the question, like, when did you decide it was good enough? 
essentially when the world building stopped being something that that I thought would help me and started becoming something that I felt like it was just delay, delaying the inevitable. It was just mm-hmm. post, postponing the deadline for the starting date. And mm-hmm. I reached a point where like, ah, I realized the, the, the stupidity of writing down so many things that weren't never going to be in the story. And I felt like I was comfortable enough. And I, I guess it reached, anyone has to judge for themselves what's the, the most, uh, what's the best point for them to, to feel comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. You need you can just write two paragraphs of, of world building and like you know what I get the gist let's go or you can be like me and spend eight years doing this bullshit and after that you realize <laughs> you know what I think I think I might just finally understand what this is about and you yeah. start now one very important thing to I want to conclude with and before I let you do your big monologue mm. is that just because you start writing the story does not mean that the world building is over just mm. because you started you know something uh, started the 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 concrete tangible product that you want to sell does not mean that you can't go back and either add more to things that sh- that were lacking mm-hmm. or fix things that were wrong i'll give you two examples one of them already gave actually which is uh that after i wrote the book i, I should i re- looked back and realized that i didn't explore architecture enough and i think that would be mm-hmm. a really good trait to uh, contextually explain what the races and civilizations are and i made better efforts to fix that on the upcoming books the other thing is i was writing the story and i had this this main character who is this uh, this leader this uh, civil war revolutionary and he's relatively young by the time the story starts. And I was... Oh, I love this. Yeah, and I was kind of... Th- this was kind of bugging my head because by the time the story starts, he is this imposing, massive character who has this backstory of wars, this curriculum of wars. And there's this very prominent war in the past that changed the landscape. And I did basic math and I realized that this, this, this titan of warfare was leading a war when he was five years old. Yeah, I love this shit. <laughs> <laughs> I created a civil revolutionary civil war revolutionarily toddler. Uh, and that I mean obviously it's a it's an easy thing to fix. I changed the ages a bit, but that gave me uh the the presence of mind to do that for all my characters. Suddenly I made a, a chronology of of how old everyone was at each given moment and that was immensely important. In fact, I like to say the most important things to do in world building are making a map so that you know where things are. Uh, making chronology so you know when things happened and just having a general understanding of of history uh, so that you know how the alliances and relationships work so that you just don't create something out of the convenience of the story and you create something more believable to the world set, mm-hmm. setting that you that you created mm-hmm. right i just want to kind of add a little bit uh, sort of back to the plugin i mean i think you should uh, anyone's listening you can see how much uh, what has taken of Seth to make this book to write his first book uh, and i think that gives a little bit of credibility uh, also because i personally enjoy story as um as exploration so i am somebody i'm not talking about books just any story a game a tv show a movie a book any story i enjoy it from a point of view of exploring discovering so i really hate spoilers like i don't care if it's a small detail i don't even want to 
I don't even want it to be on my radar. I don't want to even <laughs> think about the, or the opposite uh, situation. I don't even want to think about it because for me, the enjoyment of a story is discovery and exploration. And, um, and uh, one, another thing that really bothers me is lack of coherence. And I think world building is essential to have oh, a coherent story. Otherwise, you have uh, viewers or listeners or readers then come to a point like, huh? That doesn't make any sense. There is what is, did the writer just pull this out of his ass or her ass? What? How did this happen? And I hate that moment. And uh, I know a lot of TV shows that have that. At least uh, I don't read a lot of books. Um, and but TV shows, I'm not sure if that is because uh, they are adapted works from something else, and perhaps they have to take shortcuts. You know, they have to convey certain ideas in a certain period of time. They have stricter deadlines. They have a certain amount of episodes and, and so ex on. Again, the example of that would be Lost, like I sp said earlier. It's a show that, that started with all these questions and because of deadlines, but actually it was because they had too many episodes to fill out, they just kind of droned mm. on and on and on. And they created mm. a thing where the loopholes started appearing and you know because they had to do more episodes, they didn't have time to address it. You just had to create more and more. Right. Yeah, so personally, I never watched Lost, but uh, I can definitely relate it. I mean, I think uh, a pain on a lot of people's chests would be the final season season of Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, and um, I mean, personally, for me, that happened. I was just, I just kind of, you know, my when I saw that my eyebrows lifted, mm -hmm. I was like, "Oh, that's shit," and I just vowed to not think about it again because just move on with my life. Because honestly, it was just. Meh. It was disappointing. And over time, I like before when I started a show, I would make a point of it to finish it. Yeah. I enjoyed it at least a little bit. Nowadays, so maybe I would stop at a pilot or something or the first or second episode. But if I went a little further, I would make it a point to finish it. But nowadays, if I feel like there is no coherence, I just I just drop it, Give whatever up. it is. Yeah, because yeah. there's no point. I feel like I'm the same way, to be honest. I, I think yeah. that I'm like, even if a show starts going sour, if I start like one season, I'm finishing the whole goddamn thing. But <laughs> maybe because I'm also getting older, I'm doing this less and less, and I'm being a lot more picky with the shows that I start watching. Do you know right. the, the those 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 superhero uh, series like Flash, Arrow, and all that shit? Yep. Like I started recently watching Superman, mm -hmm. and I used to watch. I, I watched like one or two seasons of Flash. It was okay. I watched four seasons of Arrow. And mm -hmm. I saw, and like I realized it was all soap opera superheroes, but I kind of dig it and whatever, and I had time. Now I was watching Superman, which is basically the same thing, uh, Superman and Lois, and mm -hmm. I realized, oh, this is just the same goddamn thing. I immediately stopped watching it. <laughs> I gave it three episodes. I didn't catch my interest. I saw the formula there. I was like, uh, you know what? Mm, good for you. I just gave up. I don't have the time for that shit anymore. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I, I guess we're just taking this time to a little derail a bit yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I want to uh, say, like, I started watching a TV show recently, so I watch like one or two episodes a day. That's like my, you know, that's my time off. I guess we're, I'm still at home most of the time because of the COVID pandemic. Uh, so that's what I found to kind of, you know, sit back and just relax and enjoy something else, being passive for a moment. What which is watch? the the hundred. The TV show is The 100. And, they, and I have a very conflicting opinion about it. I think there's a lot of lousy writing incoherence in the book. And some plot uh, twists are kind of shittily done. In the book? But I think it's a the, book? No, I'm watching the TV show. Oh, you said in the book. Uh, I don't know. Sorry, I meant the TV show. And uh, But the thing is, I find that the overall 
story overall like how where it's going it's very solid but then the episodes themselves and like the weird character they're so fickle they're so inconsistent and it really bothers me i'm so conflicted but for my I'm benefit still watching can it. you give me a mm-hmm. very quick summary of what the 100 is oh that's okay it i think it's a bit difficult because it's seven seasons and i'm only on the second season and it, <laughs> it changes quite a bit what's the premise it would be hard Okay, premises, uh, there are a bunch of people in space and they're running out of oxygen. Uh, they got to make uh, decisions to, uh, you know, to address this. One decision they make is send a few people down to Earth, which has been, uh, it's post-apocalyptic, it's been destroyed, it's radioactive. That's why they're in the space in the first place, because, you know, Earth is not survivable. And so they decide, okay, well, maybe after 100 years or so, it's, it's, it's okay now and we'll just you know they send like prisoners down there and like oh look if you survive you survive if you don't you don't but we gotta save oxygen on the on mm-hmm. the space station and that's kind of how it kicks off and uh i don't think it start. would be fair to give more information without spoiling stuff yeah that, that's a great start that just that makes me want to watch because i'm a dude, big sucker for sci-fi and dude i think the overall story it's it's so good it's so solid and you can at least i think the again this is adapted from a book i don't know how the book looks like but it feels like the writer had a good idea where the story was going like through through the discovery the exploration you kind of see "Mm, this this looks like yeah this is good man this is good stuff but then there's some a few episodes just really bothers me it really wanted i really wanted to stop watching it at some points but it just kept me in just because of the overall story and it has a very was it it, without spoiling was it the characters that kind of irked you like they were doing things that didn't make much sense yeah, there was uh, specifically characters that were too fickle. They did not seem like um, consistent. Yeah, they were not consistent. Just, be- just because it felt like it served a specific purpose within the story, right? They forced, mm-hmm. as you say, perhaps maybe it was too much of an architect move. Yeah, it yeah, didn't yeah. feel organic. It did not feel organic. It just felt like they pushed them in in that direction because that's what the story needed. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and some uh, plot twists were just they felt a little bit forced. Or over dramatic, perhaps not forced, but over dramatic, just because yeah. they wanted to ah shock you, you know. Ah, yeah, like, I get watch it. me, watch me. And, that was um, similar to Game of Thrones, I, because adapting is something from a book to a TV series. You obviously have to cut corners and you have to summarize a lot of plots. And obviously, what mm-hmm. happened almost definitely, almost for sure, is like uh, the last season of Game of Thrones is they needed to get from point A to point B, but they didn't have a book to get there. So they just <laughs> they just pushed the motherfucker down a hill until he got there. So mm. a character went through eight books of of personal growth in about one hour of, of TV screen time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah, that's also very important pacing, right? Yeah. Because if you don't feel the pacing, it just feels forced. And um, again, I wouldn't know if that's because of the TV show or be, uh, that that was adapted from the book or if the book uh originally has had those issues but uh yeah i'm so i'm still watching it just because i think the overall story is good and there's like a few characters that are actually even though they still have those inconsistencies they're actually quite interesting i mean they're that you're drawn to them i think they're quite um, they make tough decisions and you know they matter they feel like there is a some consequence to them so i think that's important in a lot of uh, stories you're just like oh you know that i just did it because i could or whatever it doesn't feel like there is an impact and in this case the decisions that characters make do have an impact even when it is inconsistent with their 
you know, kind of belief system or whatever. Because some are just are just sloppy. Like honestly, it's just sloppy. Like you have you have a character that has a primitive, a prime, like directive. This is the reason, the raison d'être, right? And then they go completely against it. And like, even if it's not obvious, like, dude, that's completely opposite of what you've been doing all this time. <laughs> it's like, yeah, what the fuck? And uh, but yeah, anyway. Oh, man, and, there was uh, a there was a word for that shit that I completely forgot earlier. You know that it's it's like counterculture, counterintuitive. What's it called? Like when you're doing something oh. just for the sake of shock value, doing something just to oh. just to to be surprised, to just to surprise you. I I'm not sure if this is what you mean. There is one which is a writing uh, what technique, which is when you're at an impasse and you have nothing else to go on to that would be deus ex machina uh, but i no, don't think that's what you yeah, mean. yeah no i don't actually that is that is a, a, something that is worth talking about but mm, that's not what i meant like the game of thrones guys were they were they were quoted for doing this stupid thing because they wanted to do the unexpected you see one of the episodes conclude where one of the main characters kills someone that didn't mm-hmm. seem like she deserved it mm-hmm. that was uh, like there was a whole arc with other characters that made them the ones that should be facing the villain, but they just included this character out of nowhere for the sake of being spontaneous and random to be something mm-hmm. that the audience couldn't uh, predict. Mm-hmm. And that shit I hate. But yeah, that sort of thing, I, it really irks me when they're trying to do something for the sake of being... Uh, count. Oh man, what's the fucking word? This is going to kill me. Doesn't matter. Well, I hope you you get it back by the next um, episode uh, podcast. Yeah, but there is something to be said. Maybe in the future episode, for future episodes of this podcast about building drama and pacing, because there is mm-hmm. like there a book needs to have boring parts. You need to have moments <laughs> where there's no action, where just people talking, or maybe just scenery, and you get a get a little bit of the political landscape or something like that. Something that isn't necessarily drama, sex, or violence. Mm-hmm. Right, you need to have to a flow, right, and ebb. Uh, yeah, you need to have ups and downs, right? Yeah, just emotion, roller, emotionally, emotionally. It's like a roller coaster can't be just a climax nonstop. You need to go. Right. You need to have the buildups. That is very important mm-hmm. in a story, and a lot of a lot of properties, not just in books, because actually books they do it well. The, the art of reading makes it so that you take time to reach to the end of the book, but mm-hmm. watching series, watching movies, watching. Uh, basically just those two there is so much rush to get to the end uh i don't know if you're a big uh, comic book movie buff but that's the comparison mm. between a marvel and a dc immediately oh As marvel took its time to build the characters even you can even see the formula of each movie but it works because mm-hmm. they earn it while dc because they started kind of haphazardly they needed to rush to get to the same point and it just fucking bombed. And the quality of the movies, to be honest, are pretty much on par. But just because one had right. one was rushed, it immediately alienated the audience. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned that because I barely watch any stuff on of DC because I just I just feel they're boring. And Marvel movies, even when I feel like the story is kind of meh, uh, I find that the, at least the characters are funny or entertaining enough to make it worth my time. Whereas DC, I watched that one movie, what was it, the Aquaman or whatever, dude, I, I don't remember anything. It's just so bland and uh, yeah, I don't remember what the story was about. I don't care. I just remember that one joke about the the guy like having his 
the chain up his ass and he was being honest and it was funny that's the only thing i remember mm. from the whole story. very good that's all that's all but the, yeah but there is something to say that perhaps one of the reasons why the most boring marvel movies don't bomb is because that they in they're kind of world building as well they're adding to this huge universe like the worst mm. marvel movie has something to say like my i think the worst marvel movie is thor uh, into the dark world where he's fighting dark i'm pretty sure you don't remember that one <laughs> No, I, I know the name. Like, which one is that? I'm, I'm Googling it right now. Which one is that? <laughs> it's one where Thor is basically <sighs> fighting a pale elf dude and the dark uh -huh. elves. And Natalie Portman gets imbued with one of the Infinity Stones. And there you go. That's oh. that's where one of the Infinity Stones was introduced. That shit is... Hmm. That shit oh. it adds something to the, to the Marvel Universe. The movie's not good, right. but it's not bad because it's... It's part of this, of the texture, of the pattern of this world. So, it, taking time to build stuff pays off, even if it's just to, you know, to create a world. Sometimes you're not just you just don't want just to tell a story. You want to create a, a playground for people to imagine themselves being in. Again, mm -hmm. I spoke about Harry Potter being in a prime example of this. We got Game of Thrones. People don't want to be in that world, but they want they, the houses, the sigils, the history. All that has so much allure, and the, mm -hmm. the big, the big bad boy of them all, the the kingpin franchise that created all this shit, Lord of the Rings, is a prime example of creating a world that you just want to go visit. Hobbiton, the little round houses on the hills, the mm, all right, yeah, 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 the Minas Tirith, the uh, Gondor, all that shit is just beautiful landscape new zealand gained a whole new commercial avenue just because right. out of tourism just because of those movies and mm. it's you know the, the power of the franchise is so much stronger if you have a beautiful world that people want to explore yeah a little something for everyone right because yeah. there are different different interests for different kinds of people uh, yeah I, I i definitely think that world building is um, or at least having a world that is interesting is uh, essential for a story, at least for somebody like me who, again, likes to explore and discover. And it, if there is no such thing, then, I mean, what is there to explore? I mean, what, just the characters? Um, One last so thing much... I want to say before we jump into the discipline mm -hmm. area is that this world building is also a huge clutch for a writer. It really helps you to avoid getting into dead ends. I, mm -hmm. I realized some of my characters throwing out their story. I, I was I know what I want to do with my main characters, but I eventually created a lot of secondary characters that grew in the story just because they were goddamn cool. An example mm. of that for uh, for you oh. who read the book is is Marin, one of the overlords of Namur, the old guy with right. the seven horns. Oh yeah, yeah. That character, like he was just introduced as this talking point for Gyros in one of the first chapters of the book. Like he was to be the exposition that says, so we're going to invade, right? And they have a conversation <laughs> about that. But, Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's first chapters of the book. Okay. But because the character had this very austere look, very his whole, uh, the whole, the whole city around them was basically bland, without decoration without though there's only one sculpture and he's a very religious man he's he's very old and he's and he's known to be a berserker a rageful character full of anger and just this war hound but he's presented as a very pragmatic old man 
who seems kind of mm. small even and frail, but Gyros, who's this giant of a character, is kind of afraid of going into battle with him. And mm. all that world building really made me fall in love with this secondary character. And he appears a lot more in the book just because I found him interesting and I wanted to play with him more. And that is through right. world building that you just, you, you have these characters that grow in prominence just because the the things that you that you associated with them kind of made you like them more. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and I noticed, yeah, again, I did read the book, obviously, that is how we got together. And uh, the character is, is interesting. Uh, for me, it is not the, the most interesting character, but I do believe it. he's interesting. As you said, he, he is distinct, right? He's yeah. not like any other character. And uh, uniqueness does help to bring someone out. I feel like the most interesting characters are obviously the the big the big boys the 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 main antagonists or protagonists the the title characters mm. but right. I like as as far as secondary characters go I feel like Marin is probably the character who doesn't have a chapter who stands out mm. the most for me right, just right. because of the world building thing Yeah I mean we can go into a fairy character I don't know maybe one day we'll do a podcast on yeah, the book if people itself. are interested if somebody's in it, interested if somebody because you got to read the book to be into otherwise it's just going to be full of yeah. spoilers right Yeah just I mean saying I think, random names and random stuff very vaguely Yeah I mean I, I think it would be very interesting for both of us to discuss it and uh, but uh, yeah if people don't know what we're talking about it's just uh, it's beyond the point uh, beyond yeah. the point of a podcast but so, uh, moving on to some discipline right yeah right um well let's start with the mindset and attitude right uh when we were talking about world building and, and such but uh, before even getting to that perhaps you should um, you know decide how long it's going to be what it is that you're going to do and um, set up a time or, uh, or a schedule right something for you to do regularly. Habits are helpful. We're creatures of habit. I mean, just an example. One thing that uh, I, f- I found myself very stressed uh, younger because I, I, I was, I'm very, I think it's very important to keep my promises to people. I try to be a, a person of my word. And if I schedule something with somebody, uh, set a date and a time, I would feel very stressed, uh, fearing I would forget it. So I would like over, all the time I was like, oh, I got to do this on Tuesday, like next week. Oh, that, oh, I have to do that on Wednesday next week. I never, I never bothered to write anything down. And nowadays I just, I, I don't know why never, no one ever taught me that. It, it's just kind of frustrating. But at some point I just, uh, I think maybe because Google Calendar became a thing, I did not like to write things down on paper. Mm-hmm. And with Google, Google Calendar, I, the only thing I do is just, uh, you know, uh, at the end of the day, I just look at my calendar and see what's coming. I don't need to stress over it anymore. And so I exchanged uh, a lot of mental energy, whereas I was actively trying to remember something. <laughs> I exchanged it for a very easy habit, which is just once a day, look at my calendar. Yeah. So I think you save a lot of energy if you, if you create a simple habit uh, for anything, really. This applies to anything, right? And we talked a little bit about that on last podcast. I, I, before we go, I want you to remember where you are in your in your topic because you touched on mm-hmm. something that I it's so important, which is to keep your promises of time and shit. If you have mm-hmm. a meeting, you go to that meeting at that time. I right. can't tell you how often, and this, this happens in so many aspects of my life, where we plan something, okay, at 4 a.m. we have, at 4 p.m. we have a meeting, and then at 4 p.m. Mm. I'm there 
and no one else is and then you wait 30 minutes for someone the further first person to show up and then someone oh we're just finishing oh i forgot or we're just finishing your lunch or whatever and the meeting yeah. starts at like 5 30. i just spent an hour and a half just ruined just ruined just right. wasted just looking at a screen and that shit is important in everything if you have if you're going out at night and you want you made a, a meeting point at 10 p.m at, at city square and then at 10 p.m you're the only one there that shit busts my goddamn balls i hate that those motherfuckers you have to value your time a lot mm -hmm. part of this this is a point i wanted to go into is that discipline is all about how to be efficient with your time and if you are with someone who doesn't respect your time that's not a good partner to have at all continue please yeah so yeah on that point just briefly uh i mean perhaps if your issue is remembering then the one thing you could do is just develop a simple habit of writing things down and then looking over your calendar uh, i mean if your issue is just, you just don't care that's something else right um so yeah like before even getting the world building getting you, you should have some basic idea what you want to do when you want to do it and set up a realistic time right i think that's that's perhaps is the most difficult thing because we're very ambitious like oh i want to do this by the next month i'm done i'm going to be done with <laughs> five chapters oh, i'm going to do this child. and do that and um you need to be realistic but uh, the issue is that realistic expectations come from experience so when you set the plan you have to understand that the plan is not what you're going to do but it's a guideline to what you will try to do and then you have to adjust that as you go so that you have a more realistic expectations and then your plans and expectations will be much closely much more closely connected so this is a a, a slow process correct and uh, well the mindset is that don't stress over it because uh, you might at, at some point but you know over time you'll understand that the goals that you set were not realistic and that's a very important thing to to understand for yourself i think for me it was very difficult to understand i set a lot of unrealistic expectations for myself and what would happen is i would just give up and that is the wrong attitude to have yeah and uh Though both of them are the wrong attitude to have if you if you if you think that you want to reach the top of mount everest but don't think how to get there you're going to get frustrated after you wasted all the money trying going to nepal and realizing ah fuck i didn't bring any mountain gear <laughs> you yeah the whole process of it needs to be calculated through very boring means calendars excel sheets uh yeah. just having someone just having notes or lists all that shit who is which is artistically boring is essential in any sort of building endeavor whatever you're creating mm -hmm. uh, in regards to that you mentioned that it is boring i i found that it was very boring for me but i take a lot of pleasure in it now and uh I mean, I don't know if this can be transferable to other people, but the pleasure for me is just, as I said, like now, instead of stressing over things, all I do is just, I uh, I do two things. First, if something comes to uh, comes to my mind, I want to do something, or if I'm speaking to you, like, oh, we got to do this on this day, I just take a note. That's the one thing I do, right? This is a habit I developed. I write thing, the thing right away. The paper or the computer is a much better... Uh, memory than your own memory for things like this your brain is made for complex problems not for remembering stupid facts uh, or simple facts not stupid simple facts and the other thing i do is just i've developed a habit of uh, looking at my phone or whatever at my calendar every day at the end of the day or something or you know on the weekend maybe i'm more distracted i'll take a look for the whole week just to get, get an idea what's coming and 
it's such a huge relief. I remember how stressed I was before. It's such a huge relief. So for me, it's a pleasure coming from that um, difference of approach. My girlfriend does something very similar, and it's not in an artistic sort of way. She She's a very organized person, and each night she plans her clothes for the next day, her meal, mm -hmm. and basically I, she has a to-do list of of what she needs to do, obviously. And she does that mm -hmm. always on the day before. And now always at night before going to bed, she double checks to see if everything is ready. And mm -hmm. so that uh, by the morning time, she's on auto autopilot and she just kind of gets up, puts clothes, goes to work right. and does things. And that is, I feel like it's a huge time. I personally don't do that myself, but I look at what she does and uh, it's it's something that is worthy, uh, worthy to to imitate. Yeah, and I think the the biggest take of that is not the time that you save, but the 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 relief of stress that you have. Because, yeah, the anxiety uh, is released. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you have it down. You yeah, you're not gonna have nightmares about it as we all have at some point in our lives about some test or some job interview or whatever it is that you had to do. I'm sure you've been stressed about it, and not mm. all of those uh, anxieties can be taken away through writing things down, but a lot of them can. And um, I think that that is very important if you want to do anything that is um, considerably sizable, right? Any project you want to take on that is uh, sizable enough, it will justify doing this. That's the whole idea of breaking things down to small blocks mm -hmm. so that the uh, right. task of building something big doesn't seem as daunting. Mm -hmm. And that leads very well into uh, the next point, which is doing the dirty work. And uh, once you set these things for yourself, once you scheduled or whatever the way you made things uh, work for you, you got to get there at the time you decided and you got to get it done, right? Uh, no matter how boring it is. So I think the, the important thing here is, is try to start small. If this is something you have never done and you're not aware of what is a realistic thing to do, just do the smallest thing that you can. I mean, the dumbest thing, like, you know, if you want to... You want to fill your bathtub with bath water and you're out of water, but you got to do it in your building or whatever. I don't know. This is a silly example. It just just take, just decide, you know, tomorrow I'm just going to fill the bucket. Don't even take it to the bathtub, you know. This is a very silly example, but do the thing that you can definitely do, no matter what. Like, no matter what happens, maybe you're going to have a... I don't know, maybe you're going to trip on the way and, you know, break your arm. You can still do it at the uh, at the end of the day. You can still do that thing. Like, uh, think for failure as well, like uh, unexpected. You need to uh, save some time for things that don't work. And there is a very good expression. Let me see if I get this right. Yeah, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? Ooh, deep. Um, yeah, it's a very interesting, well, quote that uh, I think applies very well. It, you just have to get something very simple, something very realistic. And well, again, that is something you get with experience, but so start small, anything small. I would like to use this moment because mm -hmm. you, there is so much you can say about this doing the dirty work that I feel like you've already said on another podcast that you've done recently. Like your, mm -hmm. your life, I didn't know this shit about you until I saw that podcast and it was deeply fascinating how mm -hmm. i'd say bold because not many people do this you were in traveling to exotic places where you barely spoke the language and mm -hmm. and you didn't do like you didn't go there with promises of great work you just went there because you wanted to and through mm -hmm. you know grit and determination 
you survived there and you, I'd even say prospered there. And you did a lot of dirty work. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, if you, like, there's this podcast you do with, called the Rona Rants with the uh, uh, bags. Yep. And it we'll was, plug it in. yeah, do plug it in. It's a very, very interesting, it's more personal. It's not so much about artistic artistry, but it is a really good insight into this step that you're talking about and, and to you as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I had fun doing that one as well. Um, and you know, bags perhaps is, um, in some way is a small inspiration to get this podcast going because there was at least from my perspective, there was a little bit of an an anxiety because I don't have any technical knowledge of recording, editing, any of that. And, you know, I said, well, he can do it and he's doing it alone. So why can't the two of us do it? And, uh, so he was a little bit of an inspiration for this. And again, this is a, uh, sidetracking again, but I think I, I, I was, I'm curious to know what he thinks about this, but I know in the past, like a year or so ago, we kind of bounced off each other, uh, indirectly by, uh, I started like a small vlog, then he started a vlog <laughs> and then we both stopped them. And then he started the a podcast and now we're doing a podcast. So I think there was a little bit for me, there was definitely an influence there. Like, Oh dude, he can do it. I can do it. Why am I not doing? He's very, he's a, has a very good personality for it as well. Yeah. To plug and plug his podcast. He's, he has this sort of interviewer quality to him. And he's uh, quite good at, you know, just letting the other person talk and asking questions that drives the conversation forward. He, it's very interesting podcast. And a very smooth voice, right? It's like very, oh, yeah, very the, calm. The silkiest. It's like honey in my mm. ears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely plug it in. You can see it in the comments for uh, Rona Rants. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I got a little lost there. I'm um, so sorry, but I really wanted to talk about fine. You were talking yeah, about doing fine. the dirty work. Doing the dirty work. And... Um, I had some point, but it's fine. Um, uh, yeah, I can't. I, I guess you we can just move. No issue, no issue. <laughs> we can just move on. And uh, another thing is review and refine, which is something we touched upon a little bit uh, regarding your plan, right? You you need to understand what is a realistic expectation, and you need to manage those. So the thing you do you, again, the plan is not what you will do. The plan is just a guideline for what you want to do, and you have yeah. to adjust it. So, you know, you said tomorrow I'm going to fill the bucket of water and you get there like, oh, damn it. I didn't know that uh, actually this tap doesn't have that much water in it. There is an issue. I can only fill half a bucket a day. I can only fill half a bucket a day. So, you know, then you got to change your plan. You got to you got to take a look back and you got to change it and you adjust it. And then your expectations will be much closer with your with your plans. And that will be you will find some satisfaction in that. And now I do remember what I wanted to say, which is, yeah, <clears throat> the satisfaction thing about the, having the plans and expectations meet. It's just I was watching some video and I will not be able to link this because I don't remember where I watched it uh, about a guy on, uh, you know, um, how to stay motivated or um, how to feel happy with what you do. And one thing is do you, you got um, after you do something that you decided you would do. So let's say tomorrow I'm going to buy five pens because I need to write my book, right? And when you do, you, you made a plan. And when you do and you do that, after you do that, you need to have a small celebration for yourself. So what he suggested is you just you just have a little dance, just like a two, three, three second dance. You know, just you get a jiggle. Woohoo! You know, I did it. I did what I decided. And that actually, if you do that as a habit, you'll find that it, it is actually very satisfying you induce a certain 
psychological satisfaction that perhaps you would not get because you would dismiss it as a small thing. And it is a small thing, but you decided to do it and now you did it. And you need to remind yourself that this is worthwhile. That happens a lot in in list making. Like if you have a list, just the, the thought of scratching something off your list is incredibly, uh, it's rewarding. It, it releases a lot oh. of endorphins. Really? I, th- I didn't find that for, for lists. What I do personally is I actually physically, I don't do this all the time, but if something was like, you know, I need a... I need a boost. I'm just kind of feeling down on this thing that I'm doing. I, I literally just take my right hand and pat my left shoulder, and then I take my left hand and pat my right shoulder, and oh. I just, you know, inside, I just say like, "Good job, you did a good job." That, and actually, I'm doing this right now somewhere. as I'm talking. Sorry, <laughs> you were, the way you were phrasing that, I was worried it was going to somewhere completely different. I say, you know, if I'm feeling a bit down, I just pick up my <laughs> right hand. And I pat my shoulder. My shoulder, uh, yeah. I didn't even... Wow, I'm glad this is going to be a really, really um, not not for kids joke. I didn't even realize. No, no, it was fine. I didn't say anything. It's obviously for patting your shoulder. (laughs) Great. This is a double speak, right? What what else would you use your right hand for? Of course, of course. To pat your shoulder. uh, I use my right hand to to pat your shoulder too. And I just want to say that this habit has had such a Pavlovian uh, effect on me that now as I spoke about it and as I did it, I already feel happy just for patting myself on the shoulder. I have, I have Pavloved my, myself. Like I, I've created a reaction to a certain action. Uh, but I think it is important because uh, it depends what, what kind of person you are. Some people have more difficulty staying motivated than others. But it is important to celebrate small, um, small victories, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, some people, I was such a person that would always kick myself down when something bad happened, but I would never celebrate something good. Uh, this is a very bad thing. So you, you got to do. Yeah, all. that helps. That happens a lot with me as well. The you said the review and refine idea, which comes in later, and it happens a lot that when you're doing a drawing, you take yourself down with every mistake, but you don't give yourself that pat on the shoulder when you finish the drawing, and it actually turns out really well. It, mm-hmm. there happens this thing happens and i think it happens everywhere not just in drawing where the longer you look at, at your project the longer you work at uh, look at your work the less you feel like it has value the more it mm-hmm. devalues you start to realize oh this is kind of shit and you start to see all the flaws more than all the than all the progress and by the end mm-hmm. you just you hate it you hate everything you do that happens a lot in art and pretty yeah. sure you, you can relate with that Oh, I can, I can, I'm already thinking about th- something, I mean, specifically about editing our first episode and the teaser for the episode, which, by the way, uh, has been uh, out for on the 13th of June. Um, but I, I will get into how to deal with that, which is, um, uh, and oh, sorry, I'll, I'll go back a little bit. So again, on having, looking at something and then just feeling like it's worthless dismissing it, right? Regarding that, uh, I've had that with our work, but I'm very satisfied because I actually feel like I planned this out very well because I planned for thing for things going wrong. I pushed with Sev uh, that I want to delay this. He wanted to do this th- these things faster, and I pushed that. Personally, I don't feel that I can do it within that time because I need time to like forget about it. And this happened. There were a few days I just didn't want to look at it. And then after, this was like last weekend. And after the weekend, I came back and I was happy. I was looking at the things again and I was uh, I was smiling. I was laughing at my own jokes. And uh, it was very satisfying. But for three days, I just didn't want to look at it. But I planned it so that I did have that time. And we had a little bit of a, 
an un, unpredicted uh, like issue, technical issue, and we had to refine it. And uh, the day that it happened, I just dropped it. I just make notes for you. I made notes for you myself for the next day. And then the next day, I didn't actually do it. I had some other stuff. And then the day after that, I did it. And I'm, and it is very satisfying for me, the fact that I uh, I set enough time for these things. To and solve the when problem. I looked at it, yeah. And then when I did actually do the, the issues, I did not feel rushed. I did not feel stressed. There was a little bit of pressure because it was barely before the deadline, but I felt I had enough time. So I was very happy with that. And again, mm -hmm. the pat on the back, you know, double pat, it's uh, very satisfying. <laughs> But this is not something I would have been able to do when I was younger. This is something, you know, I learned over time. You need to experience it. If you don't do it, I don't think you'll feel the value of it. So hopefully uh, at least one listener or another will, you know, in like three years. Oh, by the way, I remember that podcast you did. You know what I mean? Oh, sorry, I just need a sip of water. I'll Go ahead. get out for a I'll, bit. I'll just give a slight tangent here very quick to say... If you're working as a team, Jay is the one who's doing most of the heavy lifting here. But uh, I like to give in with my thoughts. And because I'm a designer uh, by profession, I know the technical things better. And it helps a lot to never uh, belittle or reduce or destroy the work of your colleague. Like it, it, I always try to speak with Jay in terms of... Uh, this thing here, this is, uh, I see what you're doing here, but in terms of technicality, perhaps do this, perhaps do that. And I'm always want to improve on what he has created. And he has created a lot of good stuff. I was going to say shit, but I don't want to, again, good stuff. <laughs> and to see the progress is, is, is like, it's proud. It's like a dad watching his a child take his first steps. And, mm -hmm. In doing so, you always need to be a positive member to a team because it's very easy to say, ah, oh, God, God, th those colors, that background, oh, God, what am I, what have I gotten myself into? No, <laughs> you have to, to always be a positive influence in whatever endeavor you're doing. Right. Yeah. And I mean, not just positive. I mean, uh, the, the key word, and I think it's very common is constructive, right? The feedback sure. must be constructive. It has to lead the work into um, a, a better result, but without putting the other person down. So that's the, what's constructive. Yeah, that's about. that's last part without putting the other person down. Because uh, I learned mm. this passively well, when I first came to Porto, the city I live in, and I work in a national newspaper. And I have a boss there who is absolutely mm. amazing. He's a person that values mm. my opinion. And it would be very easy for a person to say, don't do this because it's bad. That's also constructive. It is constructive to mm -hmm. say A, B, and C are the wrong answers. Mm -hmm. But it is better to say that perhaps the answer is beyond C. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's better to yep. say what is positive about your work and build upon it than to say what you've done wrong. Or should I say just to highlight what you've done wrong. For especially in a work office environment, I realize it's very easy for people to point and blame and to push blame onto others. And when you have someone who doesn't mind getting blamed and says, okay, you know what? You did something bad, but it was my fault because I didn't explain it well. My boss did that a mm -hmm. lot. And that mm -hmm. just takes the burden out of, off of your shoulders. And he then, right. it just builds upon you. It's just like, okay, I should have explained myself better. I could have done, you, you sh I could, should have said this, this, and that, and it would have 
aided aimed you to where we both wanted to go uh, like commun- mm. communication is always key in refining and collaborative works i mean i i feel like always getting like thoughts stray away from the main topic but uh it's what on that best. point of people of <laughs> on that point of uh, people uh, such as your boss uh taking the burden onto himself one thing i this is my belief you don't have to agree with me i mean you the listener not yourself specifically uh i believe that people treat others the same way they think about themselves and i noticed this from myself because i used to be a a very negatively dismissive person of myself and of others so i could never see i would so i this celebration the small celebration thing it is not something i ever did i never celebrated small wins i dismissed my small wins because that's what what's expected the psychological psychological reasons for why this happened are a different issue and yeah i won't get into it but that's the way it was and once i changed the 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 way i treat myself and the way i see myself i noticed that i started appreciating others people's values whereas before i would just put them down and i noticed this as well in other people the way they treat me i see the way they treat themselves uh they if they're very dismissive of others they would also be very dismissive of themselves and very self-destructive yeah uh, but you also see the opposite like somebody who you know uh doesn't put you down and then elevates you they kind of do the same thing for themselves so we kind of project our own uh way of treating people or we project the way we treat ourselves onto the way we treat other people this yeah. is my belief in a large part so and that applies to so many other things besides just work just in, yeah. in your relationships with other, other people that is important to be the positive out, output than mm-hmm. than to just tear down something because it's very it's it's nice to be petty you know it, it feels mm-hmm. good to be petty but it is also the quickest route to being a destructive person yeah and uh, although it maybe it's not obvious but if you're petty to someone else you're probably psychologically petty to yourself and th- long term that's just not a good thing exactly um and yeah well i think the we're kind of close to our end here and it's very suitable because the last topic is know when to stop oh so nice. we'll go a little bit into uh, how do you know when to stop although we touched upon it in terms of world building and uh well then we'll stop this podcast but if you want to elaborate a little bit more on the world building stuff stop. oh it's it's like i said you, you don't stop you always have to have it in your mind to it's it's just a list of priorities well sometimes the world building is top priority and you, you do a little bit of writing even sometimes just exercise writing like oh this is how the voice of my character this is how the description of the world but is that just for you to to flex your writing muscle but the main priority is world building but as the as the time goes on the world building priority diminishes and the writing priority grows and instead of making writing exercises you're actually writing your first draft and your first chapter mm-hmm. and your first edit and by then it's not that the the world building stops like i said it's just it's, it's you just revisit it when you need to it just it, these are plates that you need to balance and you need to be the one to realize uh what time is to do what mm-hmm. Very well. I'd like to add a little bit, uh, refer to our uh, previous podcast, and um, that is to decide beforehand, like an exit strategy, right? Oh, yeah. uh, this can be applied to anything, but uh, it doesn't have to be something set in stone, but you have, <clears throat> oh, my, 
I'm not used to speaking so long this COVID. <laughs> you're talking about, yeah, I was talking about when to stop doing a phase. You're talking about stopping the whole project. When the project is over. Yeah, yeah. that is an example, but it can apply to anything, right? Yeah. The important thing is that before you start something, you decide, you know, at this point, I'll review it or I'll stop it. Mm -hmm. And same for world building, building. Like I know in your case, you didn't do it. Like you didn't decide when to stop before you started. But I did decide when but, to stop writing the book. And that's something I okay. will probably go on further. But you go on with, uh, with what yep. you're saying. Yeah, so like you just need to have an idea. And uh, going back to repeating the same words is just like a plan is not uh, set in stone. You just, it, you review it. So you say, you know, next week um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop no matter what. And then you reach that point and you got to change. Oh, well, it's, things changed. Uh, it wasn't very realistic and you have to adjust it. But it's the same thing, honestly. And um, yeah, that's that's for, that's all for me. The, knowing when to stop an art project is very difficult because in terms of painting, you technically, you could paint forever. Mm. There's always another detail. There's always another highlight. There's always something that you can perfect. So the, there was this saying that, you know when it's, you know when the, your art is done, when all you're doing is fidgeting. Basically, mm. when you're in terms of writing, all you're doing is fixing commas and periods and and just syntax. <laughs> that, when you're all you're doing is basically just shifting around the organization of the words, just so it looks a little bit mm. better or more eloquent. That's when you should say, mm. you know what? I wrote six hundred pages. It's good enough. And yeah, that's that's very hard for an artist because that's always what you're gonna get. You're always gonna get it's good enough. Because it can be mm. better, obviously. Anything can always be better, artistically speaking. Mm -hmm. But it's, for me, having a deadline helps a lot because I was mm. spending a lot of money editing my book. And oh. I needed to get some uh, some return. I needed to have a return on my investment. So I said, okay, I can't, I can't keep going. I really just can't keep editing the book. So by mm. uh, November, I had to have my final draft. December, I had to start working on on um marketing and by january it needed to be out and that right. was my that was my mathematical approach to the problem is that i literally could not continue doing what i was doing so that was my end goal ideally right. you want to be better than that you don't want to be you don't want to finish something out of necessity although it is a right. good it is a good way it is a good stopping point when you have to stop because otherwise everything goes to, to the trash so you have to mm -hmm. stop there is a good motivator. But ideally, what you really want is to have the self-discipline to go like, okay, I'm just fidgeting around now. I'm going to stop. It's over. Yes. Very well. How to do that, and how to get to that point is you got to be comfortable with yourself. You have to trial and error, I say. Yes, that is very good. Trial and error. And you just readjust, yeah. uh, reevaluate. Exactly. Uh, and uh, this will be almost the end of our podcast. So we'll just um, ask you a few questions. Would you like to kick it off, Seth? Uh, I know you appreciate today's episode. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening. But be sure to subscribe for more. It's the first thing I want to say. But on the question of engagement, the call to action button thing that you wrote on the document that I need to read. <laughs> oh, you don't need the, to, to tell them all the meta. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, but the question, I, I'm actually kind of curious to hear what you guys have to say about what's your approach to world building and discipline? Well, what is the life hack that you discovered that helps you? Because, you know, I'm, I'm still, I still want to improve upon what I'm, the way I'm doing shit. So please, please, anyone tell me, uh, what is it they do? What, what do you, what do you, right. what do you do? Right. We're not expert, experts yet, no. but we'll get there. We'll get there. 
And uh, again, we'll try to have uh, one or two podcasts a month in the beginning. Stay tuned. You can find us on YouTube and Spotify initially, and we'll also plug in some uh, social media and other links that we mentioned in this video in the description below. Uh, I am Jay, and this is Artistry Podcast signing off. And I'm Sev. See ya. See ya. <laughs>